was inviting us into a new way of living. And so when he showed up and he started to say things like, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, forgive those who harm you, love your enemies, those were all invitations. He was asking questions like, who is making a world better, Jesus or Caesar? Culture's story says that we must be strong and powerful and we must conquer our enemies. And then there was Jesus' story who says that the sacrificial love is what will ultimately change the world. That it was better to die loving others than to keep living in this life of vengeance and violence and revenge. And so to those listening to his message, his death would sound like a loss or a failure unless you look at it as this new way of living, this new way of thinking, this new way of being. But what does that have to do with today's story? When you and I have benefited from systems in our culture and something begins to challenge that system, our first response is to resist it. If the system is working for you and you're climbing the ladder, then along comes a wisdom that challenges that system or that ladder. It's not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. It will sound upside down. It will sound like Christ crucified. But when the system has oppressed you, you're more likely to be receptive to that message when it talks about inclusion or equality or love. When the system has not rewarded you, then that is when you are open to another kind of system. You know who is open to a message of inclusion? Those people who have not been included. A message that Jesus cares about the people in the margin is a great message of hope for those who have been pushed to the margin. And unfortunately, for me, being a white male in America... I have grown up in a system that I have benefited from. And I've often forgot that this message is for me too. That this is the story of our faith. That see, God was the God of the Israelites. And salvation came from the Jews. It was for the Jews. And Jesus showed up and he announced this kingdom that was for everyone now. And Paul reinforced it when he said, In Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, no slave or free, no male or female, but we're all one in Christ. And the Gentiles who were grafted into this faith understood the power of that message because they weren't included before. And now 2,000 years later, we forgot where we came from because we're on top now. We want people on the outside. This is not for them. They're not welcome. We deserve this because we were born into this system. And whether you've seen it whether you've experienced it, whether you've participated in it, sexism has been a huge part of the tradition of the church, and it still exists today. Just this last week, Twitter released a hashtag called Things Only Christian Women Hear. I want to read a few of those things for you guys. Things Only Christian Women Hear. One, it says this, women should be silent in church. Another, you are an amazing leader. You'll make an excellent pastor's wife someday. You're a Christian feminist. Good luck finding a husband. Another, you're equal to men in value. You just have a different role. God made you to submit to man's final authority. Things only Christian women hear. 
You wouldn't have to have labor pains if Eve didn't cause Adam to sin. Your ministry is raising godly children. Things only Christian women hear. Dress in a way that doesn't cause your brothers in Christ to sin. Want to come to my Bible study? We're learning how to be gentle, submissive women. Things only Christian women hear. Today we'll write purity letters for our future husbands to keep and give to them. A couple more. Men are visual and struggle with lust. Women are emotional and we need to protect them. Things only Christian women hear. You're too pretty to be a minister. Aren't you worried that college will distract you from your faith? Things only Christian women will hear. And lastly, this was from a guy. He says this, Christianity teaches that men are in control of everything except their own sexual desires. Things only Christian women hear. I've invited three women to be a part of a conversation. Three women that I know love God and love this community. And this is how it's going to work this morning. I've given the panel some questions that they've had for some time to think about and process. And today we're going to hear those answers together. And if time allows, we're going to take questions from the community. So there's a Facebook event page um, that you can like us and then join that event. Um, Also, you can text your questions in. There's a phone number on the screen. Um, If we don't get to all the questions, we'll continue it online. First, I want to set some some kind of some ground rules or some definitions. Um, These are some words that we've heard throughout this series, and we, we may hear some of them today. We may not. And if these words are uncomfortable for you to hear, I get it. I understand it. These are uncomfortable words. And chances are you and I have been working with the wrong definition for a while now for good reasons, though. So start with the word sex. It's our biological makeup, your parts, male and female, right? Sexism is a prejudice. It's a stereotyping. This idea of dehumanizing someone strictly based on their biology. Misogyny, the hatred or lack of trust for women. Gender, it's a reference to the socio-physiological existence that we acquire through our cultural experience, right? So this is our learned behavior. What it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman is sociologically conditioned, not inherent. Genderism is a system of belief that there are only two genders, men and women, and that gender is inherently tied to your sex assigned at birth. The belief that says, nope, You can't do that because you're a girl. Because this is what culture says it means to be a girl. Feminism. The F word, right? We talked about this last week. The radical notion that women are people. Right? People advocating for the political, economical, spiritual, and social equality of the sexes. So a feminist would be one who advocates for that political, economic, religious, social equality of the sexes. And then a new term for you, and this is the last one, Christian feminism. This is how it's defined, is an aspect of feminist theology which seeks to advance and understand the equality of men and women morally, socially, spiritually, and in leadership from a Christian perspective. Christian feminists argue that contributions by women in that direction are necessary for a complete understanding of Christianity. Christian feminists believe that God does not discriminate on the basis of biologically determined characteristics such as sex or race. Their major issues include the ordination of women, 
male dominance in Christian marriage, recognition of equal spiritual and moral abilities, reproductive rights, and the search for a feminine or gender transcendent divine. Author, theologian Sarah Bessie says this, I know feminism carries a lot of baggage, particularly within the evangelical church. There are the stereotypes. There's shrill killjoys, man-haters, angry, nasty women, rabid abortion pushers, terrifying some of us on cable news programs. They're deriding motherhood and homemaking. Feminism has been blamed for the breakdown of the nuclear family, daycare, physical and sexual abuse, hurricanes, the downfall of real manhood, the decline of the Christian church in Western society, and spectacularly bad television. Most of what has passed for a description of feminism is fear-mongering misinformation. misinformation. So in some circles, she says that using the word Christian is the equivalent of saying you're a racist, homophobic, climate change-denying ignoramus ready to storm a women's health clinic to murder a doctor. Not all true, right? In some circles, using the word feminist is equivalent to saying that you're an abortion-loving, man-hating, crude, obnoxious, radical ready to tear down or mock or destroy everything you hold dear. And she says that maybe you're stuck in the middle. Maybe we have more in common than we think, maybe. She says, I identify as part of that group of people who receive their fair share of criticism. And to be honest, I think a lot of criticism has a grounding in truth. There are Christians that do the things that they do that I find wrong and embarrassing and unholy and counter to the gospel. But there are things feminists do that I find wrong and embarrassing and unholy and counter to the cause. But here I am, a Christian and a feminist. I'm not fully represented by those, what those labels mean. They're imperfect. And I know that these stereotypes are, and those labels cannot sum up the vast majority of the people I know who live within them. So, maybe you won't hear these terms today in this discussion. Maybe um, you'll hear a few. They've been a part of this series And maybe your story is nothing like what you're going to hear today, or maybe your story is the same. But it's so important that we hear stories, that as this community, we're able to share and have our voices. And so with that, I want to invite um, Debbie, Jody, and Braden to stage with me. Matt is also going to join. He's not one of the ladies, but um, he can join me. Help me welcome them to stage. So uh, let me introduce them real quick. For some of you, um, these are new faces. Some of you recognize them. Um, but this is our first episode of Between the Beards. <laughs> we're going to start, start a podcast series, Between the Beards. All right. All right. So Debbie, um, to my far left. Uh, one of the biggest reasons we took this job in 2006, you can blame her, um, but she has been an ally and a confidant for me and my family, a mentor, spiritually in leadership, motherly, as a friend. She's an experienced leader both in the public school systems and in church ministry, and she embodies what it means to be a life learner, her willingness and openness to let God speak fresh. She loves God. She is a teacher a wife, a mother, a grandmother, um, 
and currently ranks in the top 200 in the world in CrossFit for her age group. Welcome, Debbie. Braden in the middle, her and her husband Kyle have been um, friends of ours for some time since we first moved here, some of our closest friends. Uh, she has one of the biggest hearts I know. She loves people and selflessly continues to give her time and resources to this community. Her zealousness for reaching out to the people in this community is often unmatched. She is too a lover of God and people, a giver, a leader, a wife, and a mother. And then to help me welcome Braden. And to my left, my wife Jody, the real reason you've let me be here this long. Um, not funny, I guess, but uh, uh, someone who I've admired since I was a teenager, um, who uh, was a leader since uh, she, since I could remember, since being um, a young kid in our youth programs, church, school, um, always stood out as someone who was going to go far and do great things for God. She is known from, by me and by those who know her that she does her best to follow Jesus. She's a friend, a wife, a mother, a reader, a gifted communicator, and an encourager. Welcome, Jody. So again, you have multiple ways to be a part of this, whether you're texting questions in or on our Facebook page to type those questions, and we'll try to um, go through those and see what we can uh, ask. But we have some questions that we're going to get to, and I'm going to go ahead and just jump in and start. Um, feel free to whoever, I won't direct the question specifically to a one of you just jump in and then you guys can go off of each other. Um, but here's the first question. As a woman, what challenges or obstacles have you faced for simply being female? So this is not in the church. This is within our culture, marriage, jobs, school, social. But what challenges have you faced for simply being female? Um, well, I... I'm the nerd that brought my journal so I could write all my answers here. So uh, this is something I've been thinking about for a little while because, you know, we've been talking about it a lot. And being a mother with having three daughters, it's something that's on my mind a lot. And and the influences that are they're encountering as young women and the voices that are influencing them. So something that comes to mind that I would share is that I have this very distinct memory of, of that middle school time in life where I feel like adolescence, you know, as a female, you kind of just think you, you could do anything, or at least I did. I had two sisters. I was a middle child and there was this distinctive shift in my thinking. And it was that middle school time where the whole concept of self-hatred just got introduced into my world. And I remember, um, I remember very vividly like feeling that I needed to really impress uh, my dad. I specifically wanted his approval for everything. You know, I was going to make him think that I was amazing. And and I don't know why that got into my head. And I can think that there's probably a lot of culture that influenced that, the way that I looked, the way that I perceived my physical image. And, um, and that, that really was something that stick, stood out to me that um, has has had a, a huge impact on my life. And there was this one particular time frame where I remember a coach of mine telling me, I, I, I was a runner and I played lots of sports, and I had a, a coach tell me one day, I was always last, by the way, I was like a bad, I was a bad runner, but I loved to run. And uh, 
I remember him telling me, you know, you're always going to have soccer legs and not runner legs. And I don't know why he said that, but it has, it's a comment that I will never forget. And it was something that I always kind of like heard in the back of my mind. And it, and it was what really started the whole, um, I think experience of comparison, which is, I think something that females struggle with a lot in comparing ourselves to other people. So that would be an example for me. You know, I, I think, um, the two, the two things that came to my mind when I first read this was, first of all, people assuming that I can't because I'm a female. Anything. Fill in the blank. I mean, a lot of it definitely would have to do with strength and things like that. Leadership, you name it. And I, I feel like I have spent much of my life um, trying to prove otherwise, trying to prove that I'm capable and um, to not be looked at in any particular way because I'm a female. And the other thing that really sticks out is, you know, how often I and many women are referred to or looked at or have sounds or comments made that are sexual. And, it, uh, and you know, you talk about that body insecurity or whatever, whether or not you're capable, all of those things. I don't want to be reminded all day every day, wherever I go, that I'm like, you know, a sexual, I mean, just, you know, just to, I, I've always just longed to just be seen as another human being. And it's very frustrating how often and in how many, pretty much every circumstance, not every single experience I've had, but you know, in every kind of avenue you could imagine been, um, treated as a piece of meat. And, uh, yeah, that's, Yeah. Um, I've, as you know, I always have trouble with the microphone. That's pretty um, normal for me. <laughs> it's like a curse here. Um, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. So I am the age of their moms. And it wasn't that it was different. I, mine has a father piece to it, too, because uh, my father foresaw the time that women would be able to do anything, that any profession would be open that you didn't have to be a teacher or a nurse. You could actually choose something else. So he said, you have to be able to play poker, shoot a gun, and not be a teacher. I'm a terrible poker player. I used to be able to shoot a gun. Wouldn't trust me now. And I became a teacher. So obviously didn't follow the rules. So that, that stood out to me, and um, there's a reason I became a teacher, and, and I might touch on that later. But the, the, the time that I felt really limited outside of church, I was a principal by the time I moved to Bryson City. So in 1993, I was a middle school principal in Randolph County, which is in another part of the state. And I was told, because there were only four schools here, that when I moved here, I should apply to be a teacher. That never would I be considered as a principal because I was female. And honestly, because I started with the roots of my dad, I, I was literally shocked. Because I thought I was just supposed to go figure it out if I wanted to enter into some part of the man's world that was traditionally men. I would just see if that was mine to do and... 
figure out how to get there. So it, it did concern me a little. Um, I ended up leaving the profession at that moment, so it didn't really get in the way. But uh, only when I moved here did I have a greater sense of that kind of discrimination than where I came from. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I, I'd like us to kind of take and uh, zoom out a little bit. As you know, uh, we're in some interesting times in our culture and the world. Uh, we're seeing uh, kind of the empowerment of women, and we're also seeing uh, a really weird, horrible trend of uh, kickback to that and, and putting women in their place. Uh, I'm curious as to what your views, uh, your hopes, and your fears uh, for a culture at large as it pertains to women might be. Where do you see it going? What are you afraid of? What are you excited about? I would, uh, sorry, we're having technical difficulties. Um, I, so in thinking about this, one of the things that I dream of in, in the church, in the world of the church is that I feel like the most free women I know are in the church that, that, that have experienced real freedom because there's this identity connection to God. Um, there is this connection to where they came from, to who they belong to. And so I would say that what my hope would be, and for my hope of my daughters being raised in church and in culture and learning to kind of sift their way is that freedom and healing would take place because some of the most, uh, unfree people I know are women. Um, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in a small group or been in a conversation with someone who has told me of, of experiences that they have had that have really tainted their view of self and who they are and really, um, perhaps, uh, cut their confidence and their voice. And I feel like, uh, I want my girls to grow up hearing strong voices from free and complete and whole and healed women, women that will speak into their lives and their journeys. Um, I think that, you know, we know transformation in God. And so that would, that's a real hope of mine is that in culture, women would begin to be able to see that the church has this tremendous light to offer, that we can provide so much to the hurt and um, despair that's really happening around our world. That, that would be a hope of mine. Um, I, my fears, I'll speak to that first for, you know, and of course when I think about this, well, we're talking about the future, so of course I think about my daughter and my friend's daughters and all that. I, I, my fear for them is the same struggle that I have had, which is, you know, when you're, when you're faced with any kind of oppression, you, there's two obvious responses. And one of them is to fight back. And the other one is to just sort of shy away. And I don't think that either one of those, I, I'm confident that neither one of those is the answer. I, I think that, um, you know, the book Captivating talks about, that keeps coming up for me in, in thinking about this and um, how God loves us. But, but that every little girl is 
born with the question in her mind of, am I captivating? And that, you know, depending on how that is answered for us can have a great effect. And if the answer is that, no, you're not captivating, we usually hear that we're either too much or not enough. So you come up with a wallflower and you come up with the people, the women who are just maybe outspoken and trying too hard to prove themselves. I, and it's hard to find. I, I don't know that I've found it. I hope I do at times, but, um, you know, when I was younger, I was just, I just fought, you know, everything. I was like, no, you have to see me. No, I am good enough. And then I think I've almost come too far backwards sometimes where I just, okay, that's, you know, that's fine. And, um, but I know, I, I really think that God created man and woman in his image. And I think we are the other half of God, of who he is, of his, of his personality, of his heart, of his mind. And there's a reason that men and women are different. And together, together, we are the image of God. And so that's my hope, is that we keep talking about this amongst ourselves and with our children so that our girls are become women who just stand in total confidence of who they are and recognizing that they are literally half of God's image. And I would add that let's don't overlook the young men because if we're really going to change the culture, the young girls and the young women can get there, but they can't get there unless the young men and all men change their perception. So that has to start with our children. So if you are the overseer or parent or grandparent of young boys then what, are, what is your message to them about women? Because you may be speaking a message you're not even aware of. Are you correcting what's on TV? Are you calling attention to things as you're eating out or visiting a new place? Are you saying, this is how to treat women, this is not? And I think if we can capture the young men, even when you look in other countries where women are so oppressed we can't even imagine. The only hope for that culture to change is for somehow for new life to be breathed into the men because they're very in charge. So whether it's here or in the worst place on earth, it seems like that's a huge piece for us to pay attention to. And I would add to kind of what they're sharing as well, like what, what's something that is, um, it is always on my mind as a filter, as a mother. And, and I know I keep coming back to this, but I have, you know, things that I fear for my girls in that the, the influence of culture and like the, you know, kind of the merging of the church in trying to teach them to be different and that that's valuable. Um, you know, cult, we're not really living in a very healing culture, you know? And so what I'm finding and what I find for myself personally is that we may gather together on a Sunday morning. You may have a small group or you may attend a conference or something and you feel empowered and your voice, um, and who you are and you, and you just really have that confidence. But it's like when we kind of get back into culture, my girls head back to school, what culture is, is saying to them is not that same message. And so it's an, it's an extremely hard thing to teach a young child that God's voice matters most, that his important, his, his vision of who we are as women matters 
most, exclusively most. But, you know, I, I have these conversations now with my 13-year-old, and it, it's terrifying to me sometimes to think of the way she's already starting to think of who she is and the way she's already starting to shift because that's not what we're teaching her, but it's coming from something. And um, I think what one of the most impactful things that has happened in the, la- in the years is uh, it, it, when, I, when I encountered my first friend who had gone through um, an abuse situation or uh, uh, my first friend that I knew in college that had been raped or, you know, my, my grew, I grew up with a close cousin who was a bulimic and is still struggling with an eating disorder. I mean, these are things that you just, we don't talk about. We don't talk about them in church. And I think that that fear can almost be paralyzing to me sometimes because I imagine that with um, having three girls, that they are going to encounter something that is going to be harmful to them. And I want to be able to provide the confidence and the, the voice and that belief in who they are as young women. And that, that's a hope kind of that I would, would like the church to be able to represent for them. So I'm going to add to it too. Thank you for um, mentioning the kids. I work with the youth on sometimes on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. And, and it is, and it is there, you know, how often I hear the girls say, well, I mean, I'm a girl, so I'm dramatic. No, you're not dramatic. You're more in tune with your emotions, maybe, and better at communicating them. But that doesn't, you know, they, they believe these labels. And, and the boys are, um, they're, they, they don't, I mean, I, I'm not blaming because I don't think that they understand. But they are perpetuating it, that the girls should be pretty and that the girls need to be a certain thing in order to please the boys. It feels one-sided. And it's, you know, it's happening under this roof with these amazing kids. And we do, we have to take charge of these kids and we have to, both sides, um, both the boys and the girls need to learn. You both kind of just mentioned it briefly, but switching now to your experience within the church, what has your experience been like as a woman? Has that experience shaped your faith? Has it enriched it? Uh, has it evolved? Has it changed? What maybe changed it? So what's your, been, your experience like then and now um, within the church? I'll start with this one simply because I've been at this church a lot longer than almost every person in here. Um, I was here when it was a Baptist church and they're just, I was your Sunday school teacher. I was your dishwasher. I was all the things that women are in a church. And I didn't question it because if I can touch on it later, I just go about things a little differently. I just wait until the door opens. I want to be ready, but I'm not going to clamor for the door to open. I just have hung out with God long enough to, to try to be waiting on him to open whatever door it is. So the time came that uh, we were going to pick a new pastor. And we went to visit a church to ask them how they did it. And on the way home, I said to the people in my car, I said, why don't we ask God who he wants? And it apparently was the most radical notion of all time, (laughs) which still puzzles me. Because we never think to ask God. So what started in that moment and in that whole Um, time period was the biggest rejection I have ever known. And I only stayed here probably by the grace of God. I mean, in this community, because we were, 
we were shredded, and many times I was one of those people because I'd been here, and uh, I was in on the change that eventually led to us being not a Baptist church anymore, but what we know ourselves as today, uh, non-denominational. So rejection simply turned me to God because I knew I could not open a door I could barely breathe. I could barely go to the grocery store. I could barely show my face. And I had a daughter still here in school because the rejection was so strong. And I don't know that it was because I was a woman, but I was still probably more than I realized, but mainly just because change. If you are a leader of change in any way, even if it's the very best change and God is behind it, It doesn't mean that people will receive it. So you have to be prepared for that. And preparing your children and your girls in particular to turn to God in the face of rejection will never be a bad idea. I I think that I have had, um, I've had a pretty good experience for the most part in church um, as a female I grew up in the Methodist church and, you know, we had a female pastor for a while. And so there was, I never growing up knew (laughs) that this was an issue, honestly, um, within the church and leadership and that sort of thing. Uh, and, but I will say, you know, that it, that it wasn't until I came here, um, that I really understood that, you know, I too was made in the image of God and, uh, I mean, you know, value wise or, or whatever. Um, but I don't, I I don't really have a ton. Um, so like Brayden, I grew up where there was a lot of female influence in the church that we grew up in. So women were, um, had the ability to, to teach and to preach. And, and even as a young girl, um, when I was kind of in the middle school, high school age, like they would give me opportunities to, to talk and to, to share. And I just, I never, I never knew that that was, um, unusual. And when I set off to go to, you know, be pursue ministry, which is what I felt like God wanted me to do. And I just felt like that was my life that I was to share who God was. And somehow I was going to do that in the church. Um, I went off to Bible college and my first experience, um, I had no idea that, that outside of where I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, that life was different in different places of the world or in, in the United States. And, uh, so I, my, we had the, uh, there was a dress code for girls, for women. And, um, I had to wear pantyhose, which I had spent my whole life resisting. I had to wear a skirt until 4 PM that had to go down past my knees and I had to wear nylons. And then after 4 PM, I was allowed to wear slacks, slacks, not jeans. And then if I wanted to go to the gym, which I had grew, I was, I loved sports. Like that was my life. Like in high school, I had to wear fully, had to be fully clothed to go from my dorm room to the gymnasium to work out. And I could only wear shorts in the gymnasium that had to be at the edge of my fingertips standing up. So 
I was like, what? Just like, what? And this is, we're not talking much. I mean, this is like, you know, 20 some years ago. So this, this was shocking to me that this was still how I had no, so I was kind of like that rebel that I was like, I'm going to wear the same jean skirt every single day. And I'm going to wear my Michigan hoodie sweatshirt. And that's what I wore to class because I could just get by like that. It was like dress code, but I, you know, wouldn't get a fine if I was wearing my Michigan sweatshirt. So that was a really interesting experience for me. And so I quickly learned that a lot of the women who were pursuing ministry, that, you know, it was known to, that you were there to find a husband, really, to, you were going to be a pastor's wife. And, uh, and that was even, you know, said to me and it just, that, that whole experience, I just wasn't prepared for. Um, when I eventually then transferred and graduated from Southeastern University, which is where Jeff and I, um, ended up. I went to get my, I I pursued my um, ordination, my license first, license to preach, and then further into the step beyond that to be ordained as a minister. When I went in for my interview, I didn't really know what I was going to encounter, and here I am 21, and I got this like all brown tan suit from Walmart or something, because I thought I needed to wear a pantsuit or something. And I went in for my interview, and I'm in a room with all men, suit and tie, 50 or more, 50 years of age or older. And they're there to ask me questions about my faith and what it was that I wanted to do and and speak and and preaching. And I was terrified. I mean, I had no idea that I was going to have to, like, give, you know, my reasons or my defend different things. And what happened from that experience is that... I mean, I was nervous as all get out. I thought I was going to pee my pants. I just was so nervous, and I was probably sweating out my pantsuit. But um, I, my, my licensing got flagged. And so the, the agreement was is that my license to preach was given a red flag for an entire year. And that I had to um, check in with the district, or I don't know what they're, I can't remember what it's called. They were basically watching me. Uh, which was so weird. And I don't know if that was because I was a female or because I was unsure of my answers. I felt intimidated in that setting, but that was an experience that I won't, I won't ever forget. Uh, I'm going to skip down a little bit for time's sake. I think, um, Heard something there. Um, I, I think I would just ask you, uh, what makes you most optimistic about the future for women in church leadership? I mean, do you sense that the tides are changing? And if so, why? And, and what makes you hopeful about that? I'm hopeful because of our experience here. Because um, my sense of it has always been with the change that has occurred that I was referring to before. It's almost like God is saying, if I can do it in Bryson City, North Carolina, Western rural mountains, it can be replicated anywhere. And so the fact that a congregation has embraced women speaking, whether they're preachers or teachers... Uh, embracing us as who we are, no matter no matter who we are, what our skill set is, and then you find a book that has in it change stories by 
really influential men and women in church leadership, and they go, we have it wrong. We need to change. So if, if you live it, I don't know what we're a stage for. I don't know if we're a stage for a bigger group of people in the future or a message that will resonate past these four walls. But I believe we can do it, that we have done it, and that we are doing it. And we just have to keep perfecting that. So that's where my encouragement comes from. Yeah, I I mean, I agree with Debbie. I think these conversations are essential. And as much as it's been uh, a topic in my mind and in conversations for me over so many years, um, you know, I was challenged. And the first Sunday that Jeff spoke on it, I realized ways that I helped to perpetuate uh, inequality, maybe, and oppression. And... um, of women. And, um, so I think just the fact that we're willing to ask these questions and to get uncomfortable and to challenge ourselves. And then that we have, my greatest hope is that we have these amazing daughters and that we're learning these things so that we can help them. I just think it's going to be easier. I hope it's going to be easier for them. I hope that they're going to learn younger, you know, what I'm learning in my forties, that my daughter's going to start to learn it in her teens. And, um, so yeah, they're the future. And I think the, what I would just add to that is that, uh, my hope and my optimism in the church is that I really do believe, I believe highly in the story of the gospel. I mean, I think first and foremost, obviously I am a disciple of Jesus. I'm a woman, but I am a disciple of Jesus. And that is the, that is the front runner, you know, of my story. And that's the front runner of your story. And so men and women can really lead that story well together. I think that we, we are beautifully um, made in the image of God, and we highly complement one another when we learn to um, recognize this amazing nature of God that maybe we don't often lean into. And I think that when we learn to lean into it more, we start to see those stories of freedom and healing and uh, men and women really coming together and providing that place of transformation in, in the church. Well, I want you to help me thank these ladies for being a part of our discussion. We definitely didn't get to all the questions we had, nor the ones that you guys had. And so we're going to move this to an online discussion and I'm going to invite the team to be a part of that. And so if you're a part of Facebook, you can um, be a part of that discussion, asking questions and getting answers and things like that. But uh, I'm good. You guys can grab a seat. I'm going to just close with a couple words here. Um, these are also the words... From Sarah Bessie that we I introduced her a little earlier, she says this in her article, and it just rang with me, and it's something that I want uh, to be known as. And this is what she says: The Spirit transforms our hearts and minds, and then our lives, regardless of our past, regardless of our context, regardless of our privilege or lack thereof. If we are disciples and we are participating in the life of Jesus now, and the way in which we engage in our lives matters. The way in which we engage our enemies matters even more, perhaps. And this is how we will be known by our love. 
She says, I want my work and witness as a Jesus feminist to be marked by who I build up, not who I tear down. I want us to be known as the ones who speak life, not death. The ones who empower and affirm and speak truth. I want us to be the ones who boldly deconstruct and then with grace and intention and inclusion reconstruct upon the cornerstone that you will know us by our love. She says, I turn more and more towards the words of 1 John chapter 4 when I'm working for justice for women. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to do and love both. The opposite of love, we know, is, is, is not hate. We've said this multiple times here before. The opposite of love is indifference. So when we see systems uh, within our culture, within our church tradition that are oppressive, that are dehumanizing, that treat others less than, and then we choose to ignore that or we say things like, well, that's just the way it's always been. We've always done it that way. We've never had women elders. It's just always been that way. We've only had male pastors. It's always been that way. And then we become aware of blind spots, but choose to remain blind. That's indifference. That's the opposite of love. And I want to be better at loving people. And I want you to join with me here as we do that. I don't want to spend the rest of my life just deconstructing my faith and my church experience. Why I don't believe that anymore. Why I'm not following that anymore. I want to rebuild something instead. I want a place for all people to come and to worship God, to learn what it means to follow Jesus, to learn what it means to love others, and to understand what it means to live as the beloved sons and daughters of God created in the image of God. And to understand that the only way we can fully know and understand God is when his image is fully seen in both the male and female. Join me in prayer. God, Speak to us. Open our ears, our thoughts, our mind, our hearts to hear from you. May your spirit guide us in truth. Where we've been wrong, may we repent. May we seek truth and wisdom and, and, and worship you in that. A day is coming and has come that you're calling people who worship in truth and spirit and we want to do that. We want to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, and love others as ourselves. Teach us. As we do this together, united one in Christ. Thank you for this place. Thank you for the women and the men that are, you've chosen to lead and be a voice. Thank you for your son died on a cross that brings us back. The greatest story of redemption as we continue to redeem, as you continue to redeem this creation. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys. Uh, we'll see you next week. Guatemala Sunday.